So this is going to be um, calling it just reconciled to God. So last week um, we went through where was it? I guess 2 Corinthians 3 through 5 and then there's just something here at the end of 5 going on that I saw but was kind of a different topic of last week. Um, So I wanted to hit it this time. So right here in verse 12, let's see. It says, we are not commending ourselves again to you. So there's a context, right? So if you step in any place in Scripture that says, therefore, or now, or so, it's beginning something new from, the, some, from something they said previously. So if you, if you see is therefore, you have to go see what it's there for. If you're saying, like in verse 7, it says, in 4, it says, now we have this treasure in jars of clay. You read up before here, before he says now, he's telling you what that was. So he kind of, Paul kind of writes like point after point. So you kind of have to hear what he says as he goes. So since we're starting right here, it says, are we not, um, we are not beginning to commend ourselves to you. The uh, New King James says, for we do not commend ourselves to you again. So he has a context that he was talking about beforehand. And pretty much what he was talking about is um, what, what happens after you die, being with Christ. Um, and of course, this is a second letter to the Corinthians, which is a follow-up letter from his first one. And his first one was a pretty heavy rebuke. He was correcting them on some things. And um, the second letter, he's like, okay, <laughs> I know my first letter was harsh, but I'm glad you listened. So here's what I say now. And that's kind of the whole context of this letter. But just to jump in right there at verse 12, it says, We're not beginning, we're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to be proud of us so that you may have a a reply to those who take pride in outward appearances rather than in the heart. What's he saying? To serve, to pay it forward, to speak. Yeah, and he's also saying there's people that only see you for what you look like on the outside. Right. Whether that be physically, whether that be how they've judged your lifestyle on a first sight. Um, he's saying they don't judge according to the heart. They're not looking at the inner man of a person. Okay. Um, in verse 13, if, for if we are out of our mind, it is for God. If we are in our sound mind, it is for you. If you've ever met someone who's just over the moon for Jesus, sometimes they feel it. They seem like they're out of their mind. Mm-hmm. That's what he's saying. He goes, if I'm out of my mind, it's for God. It's not for you. He goes, but if we're in our sound mind, it is for you. That means you should probably listen. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> one of my favorite pastors named Dan Muller, he goes, when people tell him, you're out of your mind, he goes, no, I'm probably just out of yours. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's where he gets that from, is this scripture right here. In verse 14, For the love of Christ compels us since we have reached this conclusion. If one died, if one died for all, then all died. See how it's all inclusive? Mm-hmm. See, he, he, the language in the Bible is not an accident. When he uses words like all, everyone, everybody, he, he, that's what he means. 
it's all or everyone. Um, there's a few contexts where he's saying all and, and the reference to it is like the believers. But most of them are to all as in everyone. So this isn't saying that God died once for all believers. He's saying he, he died once for all. Mm-hmm. Um, once for all. And if he died for all so that those who live and he... <clears throat> hang on. I'm in a new version and it's messing me up. Um, where were we? Okay, 14. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer, uh, should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, you see that? So you'd have to see what he said before that. Um, if we have the little daily Bible apps, you know, it does a scripture every day. I see a lot of those that start with therefore. But if you don't read the context of what's being said, it can be bad. So therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. So this whole, this whole little section is called Be Reconciled to God. That's the sub the subheading. What does it say in this one? Verse 15. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. From now on, then, we do not know anyone in a purely human way. Even if we have known Christ in a purely human way, yet now we no longer know him this way. So as, this is something I think we really struggle with as people. Mm-hmm. Um, the world would tell us to be cautious who we trust, to look at someone for their past track record, um, and all those things. And, th- and there's some wisdom in that. There's people that have... Um, you know, a history of stealing from the house or whatever. Right. You, so you don't let them into your house because they might steal from you. That's not what this is talking about. This is failing to see them through the eyes of redemption. This is saying, I'm redeemed and I'm reconciled, but I can never see them that way. Which I would then suggest that if that's how you see others, then you probably don't see yourself that way either. That doesn't mean you give them every access to every point of your life. What that means is, I know that they steal and I can't have them in my house, but I see them as reconciled to God because that's how God sees them. Because that's I was reconciled to God, so it's possible for them to see to be reconciled to God. So my, my I'm eyes... Them with a lack of judgment. Right, so my eyes see them through a lens of redemption. And once I'm redeemed, once I'm reconciled, the byproduct is seeing other people in that same light. That's what the love of Christ compels us. So we have, when it happens to me and it happened in me and I can see it in me, then I inevitably can see it in you. So now I'm after, I'm after you to pull that out rather than to knock you down so I stay on some sort of high horse of esteem. Because I don't need my high horse of esteem. I see gold in you and I'm willing to dig through dirt to find it. Because it's at my expense to pull it out of you. I'm not saying, okay, 
well, I have to, I'll only do it if there's a benefit for me. And I think that's how we treat a lot of our relationships. I'll do it if I have an equal or higher return. But that's not, that has nothing to do with redemption. That has nothing to do with the love of Christ. Because if that were the case, then Christ wouldn't have died. He gave everything for those undeserving because what he, because of how he saw them. He knew who we are. So he paid the price to redeem that, to pull that out. He saw the diamonds in the rough. He saw the gold buried deep in the mud. So it got dirty. And it was all at his expense, not at ours. In fact, we caused his demise. Mm-hmm. But yet, love never fails, right? So this, this little section right here says, Therefore, from now on, 16, um, from now on then, we do not know anyone in a purely human form. He, he's casting a higher vision for how we see. So I no longer see anyone in a purely human form, even if we have known Christ in a purely human form, yet we know him no longer in this way. That means when you first came to Jesus, you might have had the revelation of he's a great teacher. He, he was a good man. I believe he loved us. But it says you can't stay in that place because ultimately the longer you follow Jesus, the more the revelation of Jesus expands and deepens and widens. And you can't stay in that place anymore. He goes, there's a, a place um, in the New Testament where he turns to his disciples and he asks them, who, who do you say that I, or who do, who do the people say that I am? And they say, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say... Um, you're Elijah, some say you're the prophet, and Jesus turns to Peter and he goes, who do you say that I am? And he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. So, and then Jesus says, congratulations, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father revealed this to you. His revelation was deepened. I could show you some other places too, um, in John, in the beginning of John, where, um, Almost all disciples first see him as rabbi, teacher. And almost all of their revelations of him from teacher to Messiah, you can see right there in the scriptures. So they encounter him. He's a teacher. They're ready to learn. Oh, my gosh. But then they're more with him. Like, this is the Christ. This is the Messiah. This is the Son of God. So the more you encounter Christ, the more the revelation of him as the Son of God becomes evident. So we can't regard him in a fleshly way any longer. Um. Therefore, um, yeah, so 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. This version, that's not exactly a correct, not not correct, but um, literal translation. It says, all things have become new. It's that all-inclusive word, all. Um Yeah, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So he's saying as soon as you encounter him in the revelation of him being the Christ, it give, him seeing him in the new birth of that life is, is the rebirth of you in your new life. Because you can't be born again until you see him as more than rabbi. 
It's not until you see him as the Christ, as the Messiah, as the Son of God. Um, all things have become new. And then verse 18, now all things are of God, and he who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Wait. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So I really love how we can skip over some of this stuff. Um, if, if, you, if I had you take a notes or whatever, I would have you circle the word has. Now all things are of God who has. Why is has important? past tense. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. He has. He's not going to. He has reconciled you to himself through what avenue? Through Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So what is our jobs as disciples? To reconcile. But yet we find ourselves contentious. We find ourselves hurt and burdened and bothered and offended and wronged and we can't get over something that someone did in the past because this and that and they don't know how they made me feel and they don't know how they, what they did to me and yada 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 but we've been given the ministry of reconciliation but we're not reconciling them to us right? Mm-hmm. because old things have passed away Mm-hmm. You, you, your old man died right. with Jesus and a new creation is born. And it says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives right. in me. So if it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, so whose life am I living? His. His life, yeah. right? Yeah. He's living his life in me. I gave him my life in exchange for his. And he wouldn't see anybody else without the eyes of reconciliation. Absolutely. So that's why... In fact, I look at everybody with no judgment, and that's why everything's new. Exactly, he would—he never, ever, 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 whatever, ever, ever, he never would have made it past Judas. I mean, that's that is about as big of a slap in the face as anyone could ever get. Sitting there dipping bread in the dish and washing the feet of your betrayer, knowing that he's your betrayer. We, as people, I think sometimes we think. God thinks and feels like we think and feel. Because if the scripture said and Jesus was offended at that moment, we wouldn't have questioned that because it makes perfect sense to us. Yes. I'm sorry. Um, but that's how we treat one another. We would want revenge. We would want him to pay. We would call for quote unquote justice. But justice without mercy and love isn't justice at all. Because if anyone, the book of James says, if you're guilty of um, failing to meet one part of the law, then you're guilty of missing all of it. So because you haven't murdered, but you've stolen, you're still equally as guilty because you broke the law regardless. So we can't be in a place of self-righteousness when it comes to our quote-unquote justice. Because you can't have justice without mercy and love. Because love covers a multitude of sins. You can't have justice without, rec- without recognizing your own failure. And if you can recognize your own failure, then you have mercy in your judgment and it can be righteous. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean it's void of punishment. 
It just means that you're coming from a place of objectivity and you can actually see clearly because you're not riding in on a high horse. Right. You see what I'm saying? You're not on, you're, you're not on this moral pedestal. Right. Dad? Yes. When can I do Calvin? I'll have to find out, buddy. Um, okay. Um, and where were we? Dad? Yes. He does. Well, yeah. I'll have to talk to his mommy, okay, bud? So we can do do? Yeah, I'll have to talk to his mommy. Okay. Um, Does he want Hot Wheels? I don't know, buddy. Hang on, buddy. I'm trying to read something. I think he wants Hot Wheels. Probably. <laughs> uh, where was I? 18. Um, everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Do you see the responsibility? Mm-hmm. Do, you can't. You can't be committed to the message of reconciliation if you don't think you've been reconciled. You see how that works? Mm-hmm. I can't, remember, I've told you this before, I can't give you what I don't have. If I don't have reconciliation, I can't give you reconciliation. If I've never been reconciled, I can't lead you to reconciliation. Right. I'm trying to lead you to something I don't even believe is possible. And scripture tells us anything's possible only to those who believe yeah so we're kind of working backwards sometimes we're kind of saving face we're just saying the right thing but we're not mixing it with faith which is why the israelites were stuck in the desert that in a journey that would have taken them a couple of weeks for 40 years because they didn't mix what they knew with faith the book of hebrews tells us that so we don't we say we have faith a lot of the times but i think what we have is a pretty hollow i hope so Um, verse 20 therefore we are ambassadors for Christ certain that God is appealing through us so what have we become so God is not only reconciling people to himself but now he's reconciling people to himself through us Right. and he says this word ambassador if I was an ambassador, and I, for right, 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 but if I went to a foreign country, I actually have what's called diplomatic immunity. I'm there as a spokesperson. I carry, if I'm an ambassador for the United States, I carry the, the authority of the United States with me. I'm speaking right. for the United States. So no matter what foreign soil I'm on, I'm still under U.S. jurisdiction. Right? Mm-hmm. So if I'm an ambassador of Christ, then where's my, where's my jurisdiction? It's heaven. Right. But where am I? I'm on earth. Right. So, so we're speaking for. Right. So the Lord's Prayer on earth as it is in heaven happens through us. Right. Um, Do you let him watch YouTube kids? Yeah, his, his, his tablet just died. I could plug it in. I was just in. No, it's, Making a point. Yeah. Do you um, like YouTube Kids? I love it. Kim loves it. I want to. Do you want to watch it? I want to. What is it? 
Where is it? My phone's got too much. Right. Therefore, we are the ambassadors for Christ, certain that God is appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, right? So we're the ambassador of Christ. We plead on his behalf, be reconciled to God. So it's not only that we're pleading on Christ's behalf, but the plea itself is to be reconciled to God. So we, we kind of run into a weird place when, we, when we're preaching fire and brimstone, repent or go to hell. It's true, but it's not reconciling. It, it doesn't reconcile. It just says, you're wrong and you're going to hell, so you better say sorry. And that approach, there's no reconciliation in it. What would it benefit me to come tell you what you're already acutely aware of, which is everything you're doing wrong? Why wouldn't I come and tell you what you don't know and help you be reconciled to God through how he says he sees you and what he's done for you to be reconciled, that he's given it to you for free and that you can just have it and that you can just live in it. And when you finally experience that, then everything else that you were doing wrong seems foolish in the light of his love and the light of the gospel. And it, it puts it to shame. And, you, um, and then repentance comes naturally because you turn away from it because it's not what you thought it was because you were seeing through the lens of the world, not through the lens of truth. If I, if I don't know who I am, then I can do whatever I want because I don't have a price. I don't have a value to myself. But once I have the value of the cross, what he gave to me, that God himself shed his own blood to purchase me, and my price is that high, then I'll never sell cheap ever again because I've been reconciled. That price that was paid for me, it actually drew me into Christ, and now everything else that's cheap around me, I, I don't even want part of it because then I enter into what's called the fear of the Lord, which is wanting to be separate from Him once again, to step outside of reconciliation. So my heart trembles, and I can't do the things I used to do morally anymore because now there's this there's this new compass there's this new light that shines in the darkness and everything hidden in darkness is exposed by the light and i see it for what it is and i see its ugliness i see it's not only that it's ugly but that it's de- it's detrimental that it removes me from that place of reconciliation which is the price he paid and now he's through my life now he's he is pleading with everyone around me to be reconciled. You see how important it is to realize that you're reconciled and the byproduct of that, the result of that is you preaching reconciliation because that's a ministry you've given. The, the law of Moses was also called the law, um, <clears throat> what was it called? It's in 2 Corinthians. Um, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Moses had the law of... Gosh, there's a specific word. It just slipped my mind. I think we'll find it here in a minute. Um, I didn't write that one down. Yeah, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So that, if you could just sit there and think about that all day, it would blow your mind. The one who knew no sin, he made to be sin, 
the one who knew no sin, became sin. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So that word righteousness means to be in right standing. It's reconciliation. So again, why did Jesus, why did all sin have to be put on Jesus to be removed from us? So that we could finally be reconciled. Because you can't be reconciled to a perfect God without perfection. You can't come to a sinless, holy God stained by sin. So the stains had to be removed. They weren't just overlooked. They were removed. And you've been reconciled. And now we've become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 6-1, working together with him, we also appeal to you. See, we're working together with Christ now. We appeal to you. Do not receive God's grace in vain. Right there, he's saying that the grace of God, the reconciliation of God, the freedom of God, the love of God is not a license to do whatever you want. Though you have the freedom to do so. Don't take the grace of God in vain. For he says, I heard you in an acceptable time. I heard you in an acceptable time and I helped you in the day of salvation. Look, now, that word now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. So we didn't miss it. So we read this and, you know, it says right now is the day of salvation. You read this tomorrow, it'll be right now. You read it three weeks from now, it'll be right now. So now is the time. So wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever time it is or day it is, right now is the time. Um, We give no opportunity for stumbling to anyone so that the ministry will not be blamed. But as God's ministers, we commend ourselves in everything. Now he gives a list. And this list, where is it on this New King James? Now, we give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed, but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in as much, in much patience and tribulation, in needs and distresses and stripes and imprisonments and in tumults and labors and sleeplessness and fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers yet true, as unknown yet well-known, as dying and yet, and behold, we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, and having nothing and yet possessing anything." I believe that Paul right here is telling us what it looks like to be reconciled because you can go any, you have all the things he says you have and you can go all through, you can go through all the things he says you can go through. So he gave the first part up until verse six. So one through five is all the the things he had to go through. And then starting in verse six is all the things that he has. So, Verse 4 says, But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in patience, tribulations, needs, distresses, stripes, imprisonments, tumults, labors, sleeplessness, fasting, and fastings. And then verse 6, how do we do it? He says, by, the word by right there, 
Everything else was that was in labors, in stripes, in sleeplessness. In verse 6, it starts with the word by. By purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report. And then he starts to say, as, as deceivers, yet true. So there's the lie, and then there's the truth. As unknown, yet well-known, as dying, and behold, we live, as chastened, and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. So for me, that just looks, that looks like the evidence we need to see in our lives. He's telling you that there's, there's, there's always good and there's bad mixed together. But what never changes is that you're reconciled. That you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And that you do it by purity and knowledge, long-suffering, kindness, the Holy Spirit, love, the word of truth, and the power of God, and the armor of righteousness. It's all the things by which we are able to do everything else listed. It's freedom. It's freedom. But it, does, it requires you being willing for life to cost you something. We, we have been taught to build our lives to where we as are as comfortable as and problem-free as we can possibly be, and we think that's going to somehow bring us happiness. But it's a bad day when that bubble pops. But if we're living, Paul says, I've learned how to be content in all things, and rich and, rich and poor and suffering, and, and he, he gives this whole list. So he's speaking of contentment. The reason he can speak in contentment is because he know he's he knows he's reconciled to God. That he's right before God. And that he's empowered by God to do the very things that he's been asked to do. Verse 11, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. We are um, you are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. If I'd had you taken notes, I would underline um, verse 12. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. What does that say in this one? Verse 12. You are not limited by us, but you are limited by your own affections. Same thing. I speak as to my children. As a proper response, you should also be open to us. I just think that's an an interesting phrase. You're not restricted by us, but by your own affections. I think sometimes we want so badly to be comfortable and problem-free that we're actually restricted from living in the freedom of reconciliation. Maybe we're actually even limited from preaching reconciliation. Distracted. Absolutely. You know, like, so... I'm just glad I'm... It's just so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to feel like, yeah. So when we're distracted, what what do we do? We just come back. We read it again. We go back. We. And here's here's something I don't think a lot of people have come to terms with. I think we understand it. Just haven't come to terms with it. That sometimes we know 
Scripture tells us everyone's been given a measure of faith. But even if I'm given a gift, I st I'm still the one that has to use it, right? Mm -hmm. So I think so, so often faith is forced. Faith is on purpose. And I don't think we want faith to be on purpose. I think we want to just have it and not have to actually steward it and guard it and let it grow and pursue it. We have to pursue on purpose. There's so many times where it's easy to just sit here and stare at the book or to stare at the phone or to do whatever and have no actual pursuit. And we can stay in that place for a while. Sometimes we find ourselves in their season. There's no reason to beat yourself down about it. But at the same time, there has to be a point where you kick yourself in the butt and you get serious and you do it on purpose. Well, it's more than just protecting. Right. You know? Yeah. I, I, I used to look um, at a previous job. I would tell the, the clients there. I said, dude, I'm a, I'm a Christian on purpose. It's not happenstance. I didn't just stumble into it. Like, it's a purposeful everyday decision. It's a pursuit. It's not something that just happens. It is mine. I am reconciled. The gifts is all given to me for free, but I, I actually have to latch onto that. I actually have to keep hold of it. I have to, I have to weed my own garden, right? I have to pull weeds out so that the live good plants can clear live with that clear conscience. Clear. Mm -hmm. And your clear conscience is what makes you... Hmm... Well, yeah, it actually does say that a clear conscience before God, you, you can enter into his presence in boldness and in confidence. Your clear conscience allows you to do that. I, don't, I think without a clear conscience, you still can. You just don't feel as if you can. And so we shy away because we feel dirty, not realizing that we're shying away from the one that cleanses. The one that can actually... Renew our clean conscience before himself because that's what he does. I believe that's, in, that's all in 1 John. Um, I don't know the, the exact address off the top of my head, but I believe it's 1 John in the first one or two chapters. Um, but yeah, I think we are restricted by our own affections. We'll go back to you think we can have a clear conscience, but we can be what insecure when we get there. Is that what you're say saying? Say you messed up, or you haven't been doing the things you need to do, and you're finding your quiet time and your prayer time is um, stale or stagnant or staticky or whatever it is, or you just maybe you're living in sin and you're trying to get out of it, but you've, you've struggled to and you can't and it's this pattern and you're just kind of ashamed or you just feel beat down or bad about yourself and that prevents you from just like living in the presence of God. Sure. It, doesn't, it doesn't actually prevent you because he's the one that cleanses your conscience from all dead works. It's the blood of Christ that cleans the conscience from all dead works. But I, don't, I think we don't come to him in the confidence and boldness that we can because we don't feel as if we can. We feel dirtied and sullied and you can't enter in to the holy place because you don't feel so holy. That's not true. You can still enter into his presence. If that were the case, then none of us could have ever been saved. But we can push through that and we can get before his presence and allow his blood to cleanse our conscience once again from dead works. Mm -hmm. 
and we, it's our, our, then it's our stewardship of what he's given us to stay in that place. That's where your conviction comes in. That's what I'm showing. Yeah. Because that moment when I was there and I had that clarity, it mm-hmm. felt so easy. It was so, it just, it was that, that's what I struggle with is how to keep it and how to, you know, and I don't want to be nice. I don't want to be egotistical or, I mean, I, I know it was, I know what it was, you know, and other people want to call it an aha moment or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, you can call it whatever you want to call it. I'll never disrespect it by calling it mm-hmm. anything less than what it truly was, mm-hmm. you know. It's just how do I, you know, this is where I'm stuck is like, you know, how do I keep it? How do I protect it? How do I, I this is what this is telling me. I've got to live and preach it and you know, and bring others to that place as well. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, that's um, what I'm learning tonight from what I, if, if I'm taking this the right way, that's what I'm figuring out. Right. So that's what I'm trying to say is when I'm reconciled, then I'm after reconciliation. Yeah. I'm my, the whole point is because I am reconciled, that means I know that you can be too. But it's like in that moment, if I was to walk to the, the gates of heaven, there would be no fear. Right. There would be no shame there would be it would just be joyous right and that's how it felt like there would be no you know i feel less than because i'm sinned or dirty because mm-hmm. in that moment i wasn't i was very right like a newborn child you just know like I mean? that and that's how that's how we are in the sight of god and we we can see it in um colossians says that you're holy blameless and above accusation in his sight that's how he sees you so you can come before him because you're holy, because you're without blame and you're without accusation. Yeah. You're right with God. You've been right. reconciled. That's yeah. how he sees you. So you can enter his presence and boldness in the time of need. There's just not a time when you don't need him. Right. And we feel like we have to come and go based on the state of our conscience or we messed up or we try to run away. We try to run away because we think God is like our dad's. Mm-hmm. That he's going to be upset and that because we did something wrong, there's going to be punishment when really we're going to be met with reconciliation. It's the, it's the prodigal son. He returns when he's walking up. The dad isn't sitting there at the door tapping his foot asking where he's been. Oh, so now you want to come back home after blowing all your inheritance money, huh? No, he ran out to meet him through the through the best coat on the house, put the family ring back on him, put sandals on his feet and then had a feast. So we think we can't approach in our filth and our mal and our spiritual mal- malnourishment of eating pig slop, hanging out with unclean things. We don't think we can just run home to daddy's doorstep and not be met with open arms. Right. We think we're going to get the book dropped on us. Right. That's what it was. Moses had the ministry of condemnation. That was the law. It was all the things you couldn't do. Right? Mm-hmm. And then it was proof that you couldn't do those things. So it was, it was, it was rocking a hard place. Mm-hmm. And it was all to tutor you to your need to a savior that brought the ministry of reconciliation. You were condemned in this covenant and you're reconciled in this covenant. Mm-hmm. So we think we can't approach him. That's just not true. Mm-hmm. Remember, I've, I've always talked about what you know versus how you feel. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those places we run so into such a large brick wall because I don't feel as if I can. 
and you totally forsake what you know. If whenever you read scripture, especially Paul's writing, he says, knowing this, he says that phrase all the time in the New Kings, knowing this and knowing this. Oh, and knowing this, that means you're in a place of knowing. Mm-hmm. He nowhere does it mention how mention your feelings. Because you might feel a certain way, and your feeling might not be true. Your feeling might not be according to truth. And how you feel is a fact. It just might not be true. Because your feelings are real. They have power. They have influence. But they only have as much power as you give them. You can deny a feeling. Mm-hmm. Based on what you know. But you have to choose what you know over and over. And it's not just, it's not it's just saying, work. and it's not just making a mental adjustment. Okay, I know this and I'm just going to believe this. That's part of it. But it's also getting before God in secret and proclaiming that to him. If you're feeling depressed, you can come before God and be like, Father, I thank you that you never gave me a spirit of depression. That I'm free. That though I feel depressed, it doesn't mean that I am, Father, because I'm free in you. I have life in you. In fact, it's your life in me. I have been I was buried in death and I was raised to newness of life in Christ Jesus. Thank you, God, that I'm alive inside and out. And you get before God in those places and you proclaim that to him. You commune that to him. You communicate that to him. And because how it works is um, we have to know what the word says. We have to know truth because Truth gives birth to faith. You can't have faith in something you don't know. You can have an understanding and want the desire of faith, but without the stewarding and growing of that, it doesn't ever grow. I might know that Jesus died for, my, for me and for my sins, but if I don't get in the Word and find out what that actually means, it's never going to grow past that point. So my faith grows according to, to the truth. So faith um, is born from truth. And then you have grace that works through faith. And grace transforms you in what you have faith to be. So when I'm before God, I'm proclaiming His truth. And my, and my faith is rising in that place because I'm believing His truth over, over my feelings, over my reality. His grace is actually there to make it the reality. Because we think all this around us, the Bible over and over and over and over calls this temporal. Temporary, passing away. Like we, a lot of people think Christians, well, we're we're just believing a fantasy in a fairyland when really the reality we believe in is realer than this one. And it's permanent. It's eternal, right? We understand eternal is never ending. I'll, I'll mess with your head for a second. You know eternity never began? It never ends and it never began. It's eternal. Yeah. It's infinity, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, so we have a concept of, oh. There's no beginning of the infinity. We, we have, yeah, we have the concept of eternity as like everlasting life, as never ending, but really it's you're outside of that place of time. Which one? It, yeah, it only gives you limited choices right there, bud. Here, let's click this one. And then there'll be new choices. But now there's new choices. Yeah, there's new ones. I don't want it. Which one? How about this one? I don't want it. What do you want to watch? I don't want it. Oh, 